that have helped a young man off the street clean up. We got him into a shelter through the assistance with care ministry. This young man has now got a job. Another person in the group has arranged a shelter for him and he's now on his feet, paying rent, working and has dignity. I have always had the heart to help moms and babies in need. A lady from the Verulam community contacted me in December with an urgency that her community is in dire need of mom and baby supplies and asking around for donations and supplies, I was able to assist her in helping these moms and babies with necessities. A lady who is a part of Ladies of Grace moved her mountain by donating these beautiful business suits to Missions and Justice. As she was praying for the right recipients of these clothes, we were also praying for these two gentlemen that desperately needed clothes as one was going into, into business and the other was starting a new job. This lady's act of kindness restored dignity to these two gentlemen as they pursue their dreams. We run a ministry called Listen With Your Heart. One of the things we do is distribute blessing food parcels to people in need on the bluff on a monthly basis. At the start of lockdown, we were distributing 28 food parcels and we were worried it would not be able to continue as we rely on monetary donations to make this happen. A band of volunteers prayed intensely into this ministry. God moved the hearts of the fresh municipal market. We now donate an abundance of fresh fruit and vegetables, which is enough for all of our parcels. From 28 parcels, we now do 80 parcels monthly. Our mountain that needed to be moved was how to finance this operation and through prayer God has opened people's hearts and we continue to trust in God for what we need. Churches have not always been great at communication. Uh, sometimes we can mess that up. Uh, we know what we want to say but we don't always get it right. In fact, the one time at Grace, we had this great idea for Easter about God coming close. And so we made this big banner called Close for Easter. And uh, we kept getting all these phone calls. Why are you guys closed for Easter? <laughs> so, and we aren't even the worst. Here are some actual sentences that appeared in church bulletins around the world. I'm going to read them to you. At the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, What is Hell? Come early and listen to our choir. <laughs> This evening at 7 p.m. there will be hymn singing in the park across from the church. Bring a blanket and come prepared to sin. <laughs> I think they meant sing, but that sounds like a far more exciting church event. Um, ladies, here's another one. Ladies, don't forget the garage sale this Saturday. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Bring your husbands. Uh, <laughs> but this is my favorite. This, is, this was really in, uh, in a church bulletin. The pastor unveiled the church's new capital campaign slogan, and it was like this. I upped my pledge, up yours. <laughs> We're in a series at the moment called Move That Mountain. And it's all about moving the mountains in our own lives and moving the mountains in our society. Mountains like racism and injustice. Mountains of poverty and inequality. But like we've been saying through the series, moving mountains is not easy work. And it takes all of us using our time, our talent, and our treasure to get the job done. Last week, Jess spoke on time. And today, I'm going to be talking about treasure. You heard me. That's right. Today is the money talk. Dun, dun, dun. Um, now, you have an advantage online because you can just switch off. But don't, because <laughs> I know you're thinking, yeah, this is exactly what I woke up this morning ready to hear. I can't wait for the money talk at church. Um, and so as a disclaimer, let me just say up front, I know that when pastors talk about money, it's weird. 
because money is a sensitive, possibly the most sensitive subject to talk about in church. Nowadays, we'd like to say it's an emotional trigger, partly because it's a God in our culture and partly because many churches, and we all know the stories, have abused and misused money. And so people are weary, and I get that. So now you have this weird conspiracy between you and me where I don't want to teach on money, and you don't want me to teach on money, and so we just don't talk about it in church. And I think that's a mistake, because money is actually a huge deal. And Jesus spoke about money a lot, like a lot, a lot. Like 25% of his teachings has to do with money and possessions. 25%. I mean, we do a talk like this once a year. And so, like I said, if it's your first time, welcome. <laughs> but like, imagine if every fourth sermon was on money. I think we'd have a lot less people in our church. But the thing is about Jesus is that he never asked for money. He talked about it all the time, but he never asked for any. And so today you can kind of relax because we're not going to ask you to give any money or give you some sort of allegorical reading of a weird Old Testament story to manipulate you to get more cash out of you. That's not going to happen. You can relax. Today, I just want to open our Bibles to Jesus of Nazareth, and, and, and we're going to be talking about what he has to say about money and possessions, about our treasure. Because what we discover when we read the Gospels, when it comes to, to, to our treasure, money and possessions, Jesus really was up to something and he really was after something. It just turns out it wasn't anybody's money. It was their hearts. That's the thing. Money is a heart issue. It always has been and it always will be. And it's a big deal in our lives. Money or the lack thereof has the capacity to wreck lives, ruin marriages, shape priorities, influence relationships with others and with God, bring great joy, help people change the world and destroy us. Studies in fact show that the top three reasons for divorce are infidelity, incompatibility and money issues. Money is a huge deal and how we handle it is important to our Heavenly Father lest money begins to handle us. So money is a heart issue. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Now, if you've heard that before, sometimes people will say, well, that's just something that preachers use, you know, because you're after my money. And in, in which place I would respond, well, yes, God, not the church, not me, God is after your money. Not because he needs it or he can, you know, cash your checks in heaven, play Monopoly in heaven. I don't know. He, he's after it because he wants your heart and your heart is connected to your treasure. There's like a nerve connected between the two. If God can get your wallet, he can get your heart. And I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Your heart follows your treasure. If you don't believe me, then just invest in something. Invest in some stocks and watch how quickly you'll be checking those stocks all day. Our, our money follows our treasure. Money is a heart issue and giving is a heart issue. It's a spiritual issue. Robert Morris, a pastor in the States, he was once asked in an interview, how often do you preach on giving? And his response was every week. And the interviewer was like, what do you, you talk about giving every week? And he says, yes. So I think what you mean, what you meant to ask is how often do we talk on giving money? And he says, you know, we do that once a year, kind of like us. He says, but you didn't ask me how often I preach on giving money. He says, you asked on how much I preach on giving. And the reality is I can't talk about grace without talking about giving. For God so loved the world that he gave. 
Robert says, you can't talk about marriage without talking about giving because a marriage simply won't work if the people, both people, aren't givers. Now, finances, giving, you see, not just finances, giving applies to every area of our life. Giving is all about the heart, where your, heart, where your treasure is, so your heart will also be. Let's look at some other things Jesus said about money. Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I love this because Jesus was famous for sort of upending our worldview, turning our vision of what it means to have the good life on its head. And he says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And the word blessed here in the, in the Greek is the word makarios. And it literally means to be happy. <laughs> one, one translation puts it like this. There is more happiness in giving than in receiving. Or, or in a life of generosity than there is in a life of greed or hedonism in our culture or materialism. And of course, now there's all sorts of social science research that has shown that shocker, Jesus, was way ahead of his time. And not that we need research to validate our trust in Jesus or the New Testament, but I just find that it's fascinating that we're finding this stuff out now. Uh, there's a book written called The Paradox of Generosity, and the author kind of summarizes the data of hundreds of studies and basically concludes that generous people are happier, they're healthier, they live longer, they have lower levels of depression and anxiety, they're more interested in personal growth, they have better long-term relationships. I mean, the list goes on and on. Why? Because I think money is far more spiritual than we'd like to admit. I mean, I could take so much, but let's just jump to the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 11. Uh, Luke chapter 11, he says this, No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. Now, lamps in those days were very expensive to light because they were oil lamps and the oil was expensive. So, of course, they would put it on a, on a they wouldn't hide that light. Then Jesus goes on. He says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your body is full of darkness. Now I'll pause there again because to a first century Jew, a healthy eye or an unhealthy eye was a figure of speech that they would have understood. Uh, in fact, if you have an NIV Bible, um, in most Bibles, in fact, there's a footnote after the word healthy. Uh, if you look down at the bottom of the Bible, you'll see the Greek here for healthy implies generous. And then the Greek word for unhealthy uh, implies stingy. Uh, it was a figure of speech. It was a way of saying that there are two different ways to see the world. There's a generous way and there's a stingy way to view reality. Um, in our time, the, these days, we, we have, that's come to be called an abundance mentality or a scarcity mentality. Um, two very different ways of seeing light in, and, and in general, money. Uh, if you have an abundance mentality, you look out with your eye on the world and you see a world of abundance where we live at God's generosity and there's plenty for everyone to go around. You see God as a generous father who is more than capable of giving his children an inheritance. You see life as all of life as a gift that everything comes from him, everything in your life. And as a result, you live with gratitude for God and his generosity towards, towards us. And that enables you to be generous towards other people. Now, if you have an unhealthy eye, a stingy eye, then you see all the world of lack. You see scarcity. The world is overpopulated. The future is bleak. There's not enough to go around. And there's this fierce battle for resources that we need to fight for. And you get what's yours and you take what's yours. And as a result, 
we, we begin to see the world in such a way that often we're blind to those around us who are in need. Instead of all the abundance and gifts, we see all the things we don't have, but we still want. I want that. I want that. I want that. I need that. I need that. Instead of being grateful for that which we have. So Jesus is touching on something that is still so relevant to us today. And then he says this, see to it then that the light within you is not darkness. In other words, make sure you keep your eye healthy. Um, and no one likes to admit they're greedy. And greed is hard to see in the mirror. So he says, evaluate that. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. And then Jesus, interestingly, kind of gives the answer to that dilemma. He gets real practical. He says, woe to you Pharisees. And, and, and I love that word woe. Woe is, is, a, is actually not a word. It's like a guttural expression. It's like the negative version of the word oh. <laughs> and oh is not a word. It's just a oh, like it's wonder, it's, it's delight, it's spontaneous. And woe is like the negative of that. He's kind of saying, come on, guys. Like, whoa, like, oh, don't do that. Don't go down that road. He says, woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. And he's talking about the tithe, the practice of giving a 10%. And at first glance, maybe it would seem at a cursory read that Jesus' view of tithing is negative, but that's actually not true at all. Um, and so for the rest of our time today, uh, I, I want to unpack the tithe a bit more as we speak on treasure, as we speak on moving mountains, because I think it's such a powerful practice. And I think there's so much confusion around this practice and around this principle. It's almost like the boogeyman in the church. Um, and I often get the question, you know, should Christians tithe? What's the deal with that? Uh, isn't that just like an Old Testament thing? Isn't that being under the law, which Christ has now fulfilled? Um, isn't giving uh, tithe a le like a legalism thing? I saw this funny meme uh, from like the, uh, the Matrix where he says, you know, what if I told you tithing is legalism and you are free from that burden, you know, um, Morpheus. But so, so kind of in the interest of clarity, let me just give you today three things about the tithe. Um, and maybe you've heard all these before, uh, but maybe you need to hear them again. I know I do. The first is this. The tithe is a test. The, the word tithe, Hebrew word, literally means a tenth or a tenth part of it's found throughout the scriptures. Uh, some people believe that the figure 10 in the scriptures represents a test. Uh, the 10 plagues testing Pharaoh, the 10 commandments testing Israel's uh, obedience to God. But the tithe is, is a little different in that it's a two-way test. It's the only time in scripture where God says, test me on this. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, famous verse, I the Lord do not change. That's very important to know. This is God speaking and God saying, I don't change. He says, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? Again, this is God speaking, not some preacher making this up. He says, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. 
What a powerful promise. What strong words. And it keeps saying, you know, says the Lord, God who doesn't change, who can't change. And again, I'm just the messenger here. But let me unpack those things because there's some pretty harsh words in there. He talks about robbing God. He talks about being cursed. And I know, you know, people might say, well, Christians can't be under a curse because Christ bore the curse. That's 100% true. We are not under law when it comes to being right with God, meaning we don't earn a right standing with God. Jesus has paid that for us. In the Old Testament, tithing was a law. They had to do it. In the New Testament, it's not something we have to do, but rather something we get to do. And actually, the principle predates the law, if you look at Abraham. And just on the other side of this, by the way, the law wasn't just given purely around making people right with God, but also about teaching people how to live. For example, the Jewish law of Moses, Ten Commandments, states that we may not kill and if we claim that we're not under the law, then that doesn't mean that we go around killing people. Of course not. It doesn't mean we can live any way we want without consequences. We can choose under a new covenant to do what we want, but we cannot choose the consequences. 1 Corinthians 10, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And I think in the context of the Old Testament, a curse is kind of just like an old way of saying consequences. We're not cursed by God, but we choose to be cursed when we live or act and respond in certain ways. I see it like a loving parent, you know, uh, God saying to us, me saying to my children, saying, hey, I love you. I want the best for you, boys. So, so don't do that or don't take drugs. No, I still love you if you do. That will never change. But just know that there are certain consequences when you decide to do certain things and it's going to hurt you and it's going to hurt others. You'll be under a curse does that make sense? We're not punished for our sins. We're punished by our sins. God is saying, life and death are before you. Oh, that you may choose life. And when we choose to live outside of the principles of the, of the scripture, outside of the principle of the tithe, then in a sense, what God is saying is we're choosing death instead of life. God says, God gives us a choice. He says, choose life. Test me on this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, that's some of the stuff around the curse. But what about robbing God? I mean, what's that about? Isn't that a bit harsh? Maybe, but let me kind of point something out to you. And maybe you've heard me say this before, but I think it's important. In verse 10, uh, it says, bring the tithe. It doesn't say give the tithe. And you may say, well, that's just semantics. But let me tell you why I don't think it is. I'm going to ask Dave, who's right here, to give me this 100 Rand note. Thank you, Dave. Come on, Dave. Something a little late to the camera. There's Dave. Give it up for Dave, Hello. the camera guy. Hello. Okay. <laughs> Dave just gave me 100 bucks. I had to prep him before to say, do you have 100 bucks? And he was the only one in the studio who had 100 bucks. So, Dave, here's your 100 bucks. It's real. I can check. Um, now, did you see how quickly... He gave me that hundred bucks. It was very easy for him. Why do you think it was so easy for him to give me the hundred bucks, other than the fact that I'm his boss? Um, you see, the reality is, this is my hundred bucks, and I gave it to him before the sermon. It wasn't his. He wasn't being generous. He was being responsible. <laughs> he was just giving back to me what was already mine. You see, if it all belongs to God, your education and where you grew up, if it all belongs to God, then God asks you to bring the tithe because it is His. Then we get to keep the 90% to do with what we want. You see, we can't give what is not ours. We can simply bring what is someone else's. This is responsibility. If we believe that everything we have belongs to God, then the tithe is His. That's why He says in the Scriptures, don't rob me here. 
And please hear me, I don't make these words up. I don't, I don't stand to benefit in any way. It's not like, you know, the staff at Grace work on commission. You know, if the income goes up, they're all like, yay, let's do that. Um, it doesn't work that way. We don't stand to benefit. But, but here's my point. The tithe is a test. And the reason God says, test me, is because he knew it was going to be hard for us to do. And there'd be moments where we'd be afraid to do it. And sometimes I'm afraid, to be honest, because I don't know what the rest of the month will look like. Tithing is a test of our faith. It doesn't take faith to give God what's left. It takes faith to put God first. Can I say that again? It doesn't take faith to give God what's left. It takes faith to put God first. The tithe is a test. The second thing, I hope you're still with me wherever you're watching this from. The second thing is the tithe is biblical. Uh, so often the reason people say, I don't tithe is because they say, well, it's an Old Testament idea. And I often say to them, well, if Jesus said tithe, would you tithe? And here's the sad part. Some of us still have to think about it. The one that bled on the died and died on the cross for us, we still have to think about it. See, remember Jesus' words in Luke chapter 11 that we read earlier, and also it's in Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. He's saying, you know, you can tithe and still have a greedy heart. So that's not, if we do it for out of a sense of religion, but, but whichever way you see it, the latter being justice and the former being tithing, or the former being tithing and the latter being justice, either way, Jesus has got you. He's saying, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus affirms the tithe in the New Testament. And again, it's not a rule, it's not a command, it's a principle, it's a practice that moves us towards an abundance mindset that breaks the chains of greed and scarcity and, and, and self-centeredness in our lives. And for whatever reason, in my experience, it's one of the most powerful and impactful of all the Christian practices. Reverend Billy Graham says this, if a person gets their attitudes towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of their life. Jesus said we should tithe. Why would we have to think about it? He died for us. That's how much He loves us and wants the best for us and for our lives. Why wouldn't we trust Him with our money and our resources as well? Final thing, the tithe. Tithe is a test. The tithe is biblical. And then finally, the tithe is a blessing. Man, there is something, I think, deeply spiritual when we tithe. It changes us. It changes you, it changes me, and guess what? It changes the world. We talk about love God, love people, make a difference. Making a difference requires resource. I read an article many years ago uh, entitled, What Would Happen If the Church Tithe? Uh, tithe. And, 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 and the article starts off by saying the church of today is not great at giving. Um, it's a statistical fact. Tithers make up, according to this article, this is a U.S. article, only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. At Grace, we recognize it's about 23%. Only 5% of the U.S. tithes, with 80% of Americans giving less than 2% of their income. Christians, on average, give about 2.5% of their income. Numbers like this, the article says, can invoke a lot of guilt, which isn't really the point. But the larger point is, imagine what would happen if believers were to increase their giving to, let's say, 10%. The article says there would be an additional $165 billion, just in the U.S., for churches to use and distribute. The global impact would be phenomenal. Here's just a few things that the church could do with that kind of money. 25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation and deaths from preventable diseases in just five years. 12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. 
15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically at places in the world where 1 billion people live on less than a dollar a day. 1 billion could fully fund all overseas mission work, and you'd still have another 100 billion left over for additional ministry expansion, church buildings, etc. I mean, I'm no economist, but those are some pretty amazing numbers. Something happens when we tithe and we become a blessing to the world. And we don't neglect the weightier matters of justice and mercy. But more than that, more than that. And this is a personal one for me. Tithing is a blessing. Jess and I have been tithers pretty much our entire adult life. And every time I have the privilege of being able to bring the tithe, I feel grateful. Grateful that I have an income. Grateful that I get to live where I live with the people I live with. And honestly, I can say to you watching this today, I have been so blessed. We have been so blessed, more than most. We've been able to experience things that people of our income would not normally be able to experience. Some of that's because I have a fairly wealthy father on earth. But you know what? More than that, I have a richer father in heaven. We've been able to go on amazing holidays. We've lived and worked overseas. We've sent our kids to good schools. We have reaped and blessed in so many different ways, not just financial, but but in opportunities to see family, in health, in safety, things that we have very little control over. I love the quote by Bob Marley. He says, some people are so poor, all they have is money. Honestly, we are so rich. I am so rich. We are blessed. Now, is that because we've been faithful in tithing? No, it's not that simplistic. It's not, I give to get. God loves us and he loves you and he wants to bless you regardless of whether you pay your tithe or do the right thing or even a good person. That's just who God is. Our lives are blessed for a variety of reasons, most of which have nothing to do with us or our performance. But here's the thing. We do have control over how we choose to spend our resources, our money, our treasure. And for me personally, tithing has been just a constant expression of faith and trust and I believe it has saved me, saved us from a life of scarcity, from a life of stinginess, from having an unhealthy eye. And, and maybe you sitting watching, you know, when people have challenged us around tithing and, you know, I support my widowed mother and I give to the SBCA and I tip really big and I don't believe tithing's biblical. Honestly, I hear it, so be it. I'm not here to try to twist your arm. And, and we, you know, we're going to carry on with the mission. We'll be fine. The tithe is God's. It's not for me to choose. For me, it's not for me to choose what to do with. It's not me giving my tithe generously. It's simply me bringing what is already God's. And I can honestly say I have no regrets. In fact, I know those who have tithed over a lifetime and have seen the abuse and all and good administration, all that. And they would all say the same thing. They simply have no regrets. No regrets. Tithing is not about God or the church wanting something from you. It is God wanting something for you, honestly. Bringing a tithe is much more than about money. It's a declaration of trust and faith in God. It's not God's way of raising money. It's His way of raising His children because it does something in us and through us. He's not after our money, but He is after our hearts. And He knows our hearts follow our money. Just one thing as we close, just one kind of application point. We always try and make it practical uh, as much as possible. And the only application I have is just start. Just start, just start. Don't try to explain it away, tough times, you know, et cetera, et cetera. If, it's, if you start at 3%, start at 3%, whatever it is, but just, just start. 
John D. Rockefeller, once one of the richest men in the world, said, I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 per week. And over the years in ministry, I've heard two testimonies around the tithe. And the only two that I've heard, I'm so blessed or I can't afford it. <laughs> and when people say, I can't afford to tithe, I just respond, exactly. Of course you can't. That's the point. You'll never be able to afford to tithe until you start. You'll never be able to afford it until you start. That's why God says, test me on this. So just start. Or at least if I can appeal to you, if there's resistance, have the honesty and the courage to ask why. To ask, why am I pushing it back? Why does this make me, trigger me so much? And, and if you're one of those people who argue against tithing, then ask yourself, what is the spirit behind that? Why would you argue about giving 10% to God when God gave His Son for you? If I've upset you today or confirmed all your suspicions about church, <laughs> I haven't been to church in five years and the one day I switched on the YouTube, here we are, here's another part. Honestly, just ignore it. Come back next week. We'll talk about talent, okay? Honestly, we're not upset about it. And let me close with this. This really struck me this week. I was listening to another preacher talk around this. He spoke about the first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, wait, let me do that again. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. That's what Christianity is. It's just putting God first with all of our lives. And I'm not asking you not to love other things. I'm not asking you to not have a nice car or go on holiday. I'm not asking you to have clothes or even a nice purse. Help yourself. <laughs> just don't have it before God. That's what God asks. That's it. Let's have the courage and the faith to obey God in this. And let's let Him transform our hearts as we do so. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you speak to every single person right now who's watching this video, wherever they might be, whenever it might be. And for those of you listening, watching, what I'm going to ask you to do is just take 15 seconds, close your eyes, maybe you want to put your hands out like this, and just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. I'm not asking you to listen to me. I'm just asking you to listen to God. He has the trump card. Just to ask the question, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What does this mean for me right now? And I really have a sense, some of you, you have anxiety and fear around this money thing, and I want to pray against that. You've been living in a scarcity mindset. I want to say, your Father knows you, He loves you, He has the best for you. Some of you, your hearts have been in the wrong place. All of us have loves, but some of you have loves above God. And what Christianity is, is not joining Grace Family Church, it's not coming on Sundays. Christianity is reordering your life so that God is your first love. That's it, that's it. So maybe you want to pray this prayer today. Just whisper it right there where you are. God, today I'm reordering my life. It's out of order. You've been in it, but now I'm putting you at the top of my life. You are my God, and I will praise you, and I will serve you, and I will follow you. Forgive me for going on my own. Come live inside of me and give me the power to live a life totally dedicated to you. You are my God. I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and He died for me and rose again. And today I make Him my Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.